Well, good morning. My name is Matthew, and I have the privilege of serving as the student pastor here at our Brandon campus. And I'm excited to be with you all today as we continue our series, Miracles of Jesus. And I want to start today with, with a question. And it might seem kind of like a, an odd question to ask in church, a question that you may not want to answer honestly in church. Um, but the question is this. Do you ever struggle to believe in Jesus? Do you ever struggle to believe in him? Do you ever struggle to, to trust him? And I, I think if we're, we're honest, we all have seasons of life where believing and trusting in Jesus is more difficult than, than others. You know, maybe for you today, you're here, um, but if you're honest, you're, you're kind of skeptical about this Jesus thing. You're kind of skeptical about faith. You've been coming to church maybe for a little bit, and you've been asking some questions, you've been searching, you've been kind of looking into it, but you still need some more evidence before you're willing to believe. You need some more facts, you need some more proof. You're interested, but you're kind of on the fence, and you're not really ready to go all in with Jesus. You're not ready to believe. You need to see more. And listen, if that's you this morning, please know we are so thankful that you're here. We're so thankful that you're searching, that you're asking those questions, and that you're with us today. But maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. Maybe you've been following Jesus for months, years, maybe even decades. But right now, you're in a season of life where believing has been more difficult. It's been more, more challenging for you. Maybe right now, you feel like God is very distant from you. Now, at one point in your life, you felt very close to God, you felt very connected, you could sense God's presence in your life, but for whatever reason, God now seems like he's disconnected from you. There's this gap, there's this void, and, and you're struggling to believe because God just doesn't seem as real as he once did. Or maybe right now, you, you're in a season where you've been praying for something, you've been praying over and over, asking for God to show up, asking for God to work and to move in your life. And God doesn't seem to be doing what you want him to. God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers the way that you, you've hoped he would. And it's not that you're, you're thinking about walking away from your faith. It's not that you're not a, a Christian anymore. But believing and trusting, is just, it's harder right now. But listen, where, wherever you are on the belief spectrum, whether you're, you're kind of skeptical, you're struggling, or, or maybe you're saying, Matthew, I don't have any doubts, I don't have any concerns, I'm all in when it comes to belief. Wherever you are in that spectrum, here's what I want us to see today. True belief is trusting Jesus for who he is, not for what he does. True belief, according to the Bible, is trusting Jesus for who he is, not for what he does or doesn't do, in our life, and we're gonna unpack that truth today over the next few minutes. You know, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Stephen, he kicked off our miracle series by looking at probably the most fun miracle of all of them, Jesus turning water into wine. Uh, this was Jesus' first miracle that he performed during his, his earthly ministry. It's kind of what kick-started everything. But the Gospel of John actually refers to Jesus' miracles as signs. Because these miracles, they were more than just these fancy magic tricks that were meant to entertain and to draw a crowd and to, to wow people. You know, they were signs pointing to something greater. They were pointing to who Jesus actually is. That he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he is the Christ. 
and Jesus turning water into wine was the first sign in the Gospel of John. Today, we're gonna look at the second sign in the Gospel of John. So after Jesus turned water into wine at the, the wedding, he made his way down south to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This was the, the annual celebration where all the Jewish people would get together and they would celebrate and they would remember how God had rescued them out of a captivity and slavery in Egypt. And while Jesus was there in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover, I imagine his friends were there, his family, his disciples. It says that Jesus began to perform other miracles, perform other signs, and people were, were watching Jesus, and they were wowed by them. They were impressed. And it says that they started to, to believe in Jesus. But it wasn't the kind of belief that Jesus was looking for. Listen to what John writes in John chapter 2 and, and, and verse 23. He says this. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people, they saw the signs. They saw the miracles he was performing, and they believed in his name. They were wowed, they were impressed, they were drawn to him. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Jesus would not give himself to them, for he knew all people. He didn't need a testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. You see, all throughout the Gospel of John, the primary theme, the primary focus is belief in Jesus. John emphasizes this over and over and over throughout the gospel, belief in Jesus. In fact, at the end of his gospel account, he says this, I have written these things so that you may believe in Jesus. Like that's the whole purpose of this letter, so that you would believe in Jesus. And you see John drawing a distinction between true belief and false belief. There's a true saving belief and there is a false belief. And these Jewish people who were there at the Passover in Jerusalem watching Jesus perform these miracles, they didn't have true belief. In fact, it says that Jesus, he knew what was in their heart. He knew their motives. He knew their, their thoughts. He knew their intentions. And he knew that they were entertained by the miracles. They were impressed. They thought they were, they were, were cool. They, they were wowed by them. But Jesus knew that they had no intention of seeing him as their Lord, of seeing him as their Savior. So he performs these signs. They see them, they're wowed, but they don't actually believe. And Jesus now is returning home back to Galilee. But on his way, he stops in a city called Samaria. And here's what we need to understand. The, Samar the, the Samaritans and the, the, the Jewish people, they hated each other. There was this intense rivalry. The Jewish people, they looked down on, uh, on them. They despised them. They refused to associate with them. But Jesus purposely stopped in this city. He purposely stopped in Samaria on his way home. And while his disciples went to grab some lunch, Jesus, he makes his way to kind of the center of the town to where the well is, and he encounters this woman. And he begins to talk with her. He begins to engage in conversation with her, and he asks her for a drink of water. And this woman is, is completely taken back by the fact that Jesus is, is talking to her, that he's, he's approached her and engaged her in conversation. One, because he's a man, and in those days a man wouldn't approach a woman that wasn't his wife. But secondly, he was a Jewish man. Here's somebody who should be looking down on her, that should despise her, that should be trying to avoid her. 
and he's talking to her. And Jesus begins to explain to this woman that he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one they've been waiting for and hoping for for so long. But this time, as Jesus is, is explaining who he is, there are no signs and there are no miracles. There's no entertainment. There's no wow factor. All he gives this woman is his word, is his testimony about himself, who he is. And when this woman hears his testimony, hears his, his word about himself, she believes him. And she goes back to her town. She goes to her friends. She goes to her family and begins to, to tell them, I've met the Messiah. I've found him. Listen to, to, to what he told me. And listen to what it says in John chapter 4, starting verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town, they believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, not because of his signs, not because of his miracles, but because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I just want to pause here and, and help us to notice what John is doing here, the, the difference between these two groups. You have the Jews, the Jewish people, Jesus' own people. They've seen the signs. They've seen the miracles. They've seen Jesus' power on full display. But they won't truly believe. But then you have the Samaritans people that the Jews were supposed to hate, who got no sign, who received no miracle, and they have believed. Two different groups, two very different responses. You see true belief and you see false belief. And John is, is kind of setting the stage for what is about to happen, the second sign in his gospel account. He's trying to show there's a true belief, there's a false belief. So continuing on in verse 43, he writes this. He says, after the two days... That, that Jesus spent in Samaria, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So Jesus has just been honored in a place that should have despised him. And he's headed home to the place where he grew up, to his friends, to his family, people who know him, and he knows that he is not going to be honored. You see, all throughout Jesus' ministry, he continued to make himself available to his own people. He continued to perform these signs, these miracles that validated what he said, the claims that he was making about who he was. He was like, here are these miracles, here are these signs, they're pointing to who I am. But Jesus knew that they would continue to reject him, that they would not believe. In fact, that they would eventually turn on him, that they would have him arrested, that they would have him executed because of the claims that he was making about himself. Jesus knew, I'm going home, but I'm not going to be honored by my people. But listen to what it says in verse 45. When Jesus arrived in Galilee, the Galileans, they, they welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. And isn't that interesting? It says that they welcomed him. But what John is trying to, to do is to show there's a difference between welcome and honor. 
See, Jesus at this point was well-liked by his people. I mean, he's popular. Here's the hometown guy who's going around from party to party turning water into wine. Like, who wouldn't want to hang out with that guy? They like spending time with him. They, 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 they wanted to be with him. They're like, Jesus, come to my wedding. Jesus, come to my party. They wanted to spend time with him. They liked him. They welcomed him. But they would not honor him. They would not see him as their Lord. They were seeking signs. They weren't seeking a savior. They welcomed, but they would not honor him. So Jesus, he arrives back in Galilee. He's welcomed by his people. And then verse 46 says this. Once more, he visited Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose sons lay sick at Capernaum. So Jesus, he returns to the scene of the crime. The, the place where his ministry really began, the place where he had performed his first ever miracle, where he started to grow in popularity, where his disciples started to believe in him. He's back in Cana, and we're introduced here to the main character in our story, this royal official from Capernaum. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this guy. We're not really given any details he doesn't pop up later in the, the Gospel of John, but based on his title, there's certain things that we can assume about him. He was likely a, a man of status. He was well-respected in the community. He was a man of, of power and authority. People reported to him. He was a man of, of, of wealth. And this was the kind of guy who didn't go to other people when he needed something. Other people came to him. He was very self-sufficient, self-reliant. He had all that he could ever need or want for himself, but he had a son who was very sick. And he found himself in this desperate situation. And verse 47 says this, when this man, the royal official, heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So this man's son, he's sick to the point of death. Like, it is inevitable. He is going to die. There's nothing they can do about it. It's a matter of hours, maybe a couple of days before he passes away. But he catches wind that this Jesus guy is back home in Galilee. And he had been, been, been hearing some things about Jesus. He likely had a, a friend who was at that wedding in Cana who came back home saying, you're not gonna believe what happened at this wedding I was at. He likely had friends who were in Jerusalem at the Passover who saw Jesus perform these miracles and, and came back and were telling him about it. He was hearing all these rumors circulating about this hometown guy, this Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter, who is performing these miracles and signs. And he starts to think, he starts to wonder, man, maybe Jesus can help my son. Maybe there's something that he can do for us. But he's faced with this dilemma. Do I leave my dying son and do I go and try to find Jesus? You see, Capernaum was 20 miles away from Cana. They didn't have you know, little Teslas that he could hop in and drive over there in a matter of minutes. So this would have been an hour's worth of walking. And by the time he got to Cana, found Jesus, brought him back, there's a very good chance that his son could have already been gone. He could have already passed. So he's trying to figure out, like, do I stay with my family during this moment of crisis when my wife needs me, my son needs me, or do I leave and go and try to find Jesus? And here's another thing we need to understand. Up until this point, 
there had been no record of Jesus healing anyone. Like in the Gospel of John, we, we, we don't read anything about Jesus healing anyone up to this point. He hadn't healed the paralyzed man yet. He hadn't restored any sight. He hadn't raised the dead. Like this guy doesn't even know, is Jesus even capable of healing my son? There's no guarantee. It's a long shot. But he's in a desperate situation. He has nowhere to turn. His son is going to die, so he makes the trip. He travels the 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana. And I imagine when he gets there, he's frantically looking for Jesus. Has anyone seen Jesus? I need to find him right away. And he eventually tracks down Jesus, and Jesus is there with a a crowd. He's with a group of people. And this man, he falls at Jesus' feet, and he begins to beg. He begins to plead, Jesus, my son is dying. Will you come and help? Will you come back with me? I need your help. Can you do anything? And as this guy is in a moment of desperation, crying, begging, pleading with Jesus, listen to how Jesus responds to him. It sounds so insensitive. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. He looks at this guy on the ground, crying, begging him to come help his son, says, unless you see signs and wonders, you are never going to believe. You see, Jesus knew the hearts of these people. He knew what they were after. They weren't seeking him, they weren't after him, they were after what he could do. They had a very conditional belief. Unlike the Samaritans, they weren't gonna take Jesus at his word. They weren't gonna believe because of his testimony. They needed to see Jesus do something. And they wanted to see Jesus do something for them. Like, hey, if you'll do something, if you'll entertain us, if you'll feed us, if you'll do the water to wine, if you'll heal, then we will believe. And Jesus knew what was in their heart, and he called them on it. But listen to how this man replies to to Jesus. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. He doesn't even respond to Jesus' rebuke. I'm sure in his head he's thinking like, seriously? You want to give me a lecture right now? Like, I've traveled 20 miles. My son is sick. Can you help me or not? Are you coming with me? Have I wasted all of my time? I need an answer. Are we going or not? And listen to how Jesus replies. I love this. He says, go, your son will live. At this point, the man's starting to get a bit frustrated. He's like, no, you're not tracking here, Jesus. I need you to come with me. Like, we go back to my house, and I don't know how your healing power works, if you wave your wand or you snap your fingers, but like, I need you to come back to the house and heal my son. And look, Jesus, I know, you're, I know you're not married, so you probably don't understand this dynamic, but if I show back up at home today without you, my son isn't gonna be the only one who, who dies today. Like, my wife is going to kill me. She's gonna be livid. Like, I need you to come back with me. We need to go now. And Jesus looks at him and says, go. Your son will live. And what's going on here? What, what is Jesus doing? He's testing his belief. He's saying, I'll heal your son, but I'm not going with you. You'll get your miracle, you'll get your sign, but not in the way that you're expecting, not in the way that you're wanting. You need to believe me because of my word, not because of what you see. You need to trust what I'm saying, not what I'm going to do. And isn't that the tension 
that all of us live in? Isn't that the tension that all of us feel and experience in, in, in life? We are called to believe in something that we cannot see. We're called to, to, to trust what Jesus has said as revealed to us in the scriptures. We're called to surrender our lives, to give everything, to follow after something that we can't put our hands around, that we can't see, that we can't touch. We are called to have faith. You know, faith is a, something we talk about a lot in church. It's kind of a buzzword we throw around. Hey, have more faith. Put your faith in Jesus. You, you, you just need to believe and trust and have faith. But I think whenever we talk about faith in, in, in the church, there's always this sense that faith means not having any doubts. That faith means not having any questions, not having any concerns, not having any, any struggles. But listen, faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is belief in the presence of doubt. Faith is saying, I'm going to believe despite the doubt. I'm gonna believe despite the unanswered questions. I'm gonna believe despite the uncertainty and despite the unknowns. And that's what makes faith scary. Because when you believe, when you place your faith in something and there's uncertainty and there are unknowns, there's a risk involved with it. In fact, listen to how the book of Hebrews talks about faith. It says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And here, Jesus is asking this man to go home walking by faith, not by sight. He's saying, will you trust me? Will you take me at my word? Will you have faith? And this man is, is forced to make this decision, a decision that, that all of us at some point in our, our life are going to have to make. Am I going to believe? Am I going to take Jesus at his word? Am I gonna trust him? Am I, am I going to have faith? And listen to how the man responds. I love this. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He believes. He has faith. He takes Jesus at his word. He doesn't get the sign. He doesn't get the miracle in the moment. But he trusts what Jesus has said to him. He heads home by faith, not by sight. Not hoping things will turn out okay. Not fingers crossed. We'll see if Jesus comes through. But believing what Jesus has told him. He has placed his faith in what Jesus has said, not in what Jesus has done. And listen to what happens next. Verse 50, 51. While he was still on the way, his servants, they met him with the news that his boy was living. When he acquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And this is, this is amazing, verse 53. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So this man and his family, they get their sign. They get their miracle. Their, their son is healed. Jesus comes through for them. But here's what I want you to notice this morning. This man's belief was not rooted in what Jesus did. It was rooted in what Jesus said. 
It was rooted in Jesus' word, his testimony. He believed, he trusted, he had faith before he saw, before he got the sign, before he got the miracle. And I, I just wonder today, what is your belief really tied to? What, what is your belief really anchored to and, and rooted in? Is it tied to the person of Jesus, who he is, who he claims to be, his testimony as revealed to us in, in scripture, or is it really tied to what he does, to whether or not he comes through for you, to whether or not he, he cooperates and answers your prayers the way that you want him to? You see, at times, I, I think we can be guilty of, of, of having a conditional faith where we will believe if, fill in the blank. We will believe if God answers our prayers the way that we want him to. Like if we pray enough, we expect, God, you're gonna get on board with my plan, my agenda, you're gonna work things out for the way I want you to, and if you will do that, well, then I'll believe, then I'll follow you. Or I'll believe if God works out this situation. You know, have you ever prayed one of these prayers like, Jesus, if you will just get me out of this situation that I got myself into, then I will really follow you. Like that sin, that habit that I haven't been willing to surrender, if you will just help figure this out somehow, then I'll, I'll really believe, then I'll really surrender. Or I'll believe if I can see God move. Like, I need some evidence. I need a sign. Like, God, are, are you out there? You know, thunder once for yes, thunder twice for no. Like, God, like, can you, can you speak to me? Or I'll believe if I can feel God. Like, I, I, I need to have this feeling. I need to have this emotion. I, I'll believe if I can sense God's presence. And just like Jesus said, unless we see signs and wonders, we will never believe. That's a conditional faith. But here's the challenge, here's the danger of a conditional faith. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, months, years, decades, here's what I'm sure you've realized. You don't always get the sign. You don't always get the miracle. Like you, you pray for something day after day, you plead with God, you believe, you trust that he has the ability and you don't end up getting what you hope for. Like there's a, a, a diagnosis in the family and you begin to pray to God for, for healing. Just like this man, you, you, you're pleading, you're begging with God day after day after day. You're trusting that God has the, the power to heal. You're believing that he can and that he will and he doesn't. Or you're praying that God would bless you with, with family. Maybe you're, you're, you're single and you're praying that God would, would, would provide you with a spouse. You're ready to get married or you've been married and, and you and your spouse are ready for kids and you're praying that God would bless you with kids and, and you're seeking after the Lord, you're pursuing him, you're trying to do all the right things and it's not happening. Or you're, you're, you're praying to God for a new opportunity, a new career, an open door, but nothing seems to be working out and you just feel stuck where you are. And when this happens, when Jesus doesn't come through the way that we hope he will or the way that we want him to, well then what happens to our belief? Well if our belief is tied to what Jesus does, then our faith begins to crack, it begins to break under the weight 
of unmet expectations. You see, a conditional faith always produces a fragile faith, a faith that rises and falls based on our life circumstances. Like if things are going well, if family's healthy, if the money's coming in, if I like my job, if things are going well, then I believe, then I have faith. But as soon as things take a turn, as soon as life gets hard, well, then we struggle to believe. We struggle to have faith. Or our faith rises and falls based on our emotions, our feelings. So if we're feeling good, if we feel like God is close, well, then we believe, then we have faith. But as soon as it feels like God is distant or God isn't close or the emotions wear off, well, we begin to dial back the faith. We begin to dial back the belief because our belief, our trust, our faith is rooted in what Jesus does or doesn't do. And look, maybe this is the version of faith that you were, you were introduced to. You were told essentially, hey, if you will believe in Jesus, you'll give your life to him, and he will make your life easy. No health concerns, no financial stress, no family conflict. You just need to believe in what Jesus can do for you. But then that didn't happen. Life hit you in the face. And you felt let down and disappointed because Jesus didn't do what you thought he would. Jesus didn't cooperate with the plans that, that you had. You see, it's, it's so important for us to understand the, the true invitation of Jesus. See, Jesus is inviting each and every one of us, every single one of us, to believe. But just like the man in this story, He's not inviting us to believe in what he does for us. He's inviting us to believe in who he is. He's inviting us to believe in his word, his testimony as revealed to us in the scriptures. He's inviting us to take his word and to trust him. But here's what I love most about Jesus' invitation. Jesus isn't just inviting us, hey, have faith in faith. Believe in this fairy tale that you can't see, that there's no evidence for. No, no, no. Jesus is inviting us to something much greater. Jesus is inviting us to believe, to anchor our faith in a historical event, in something that has already happened. You see, unlike the royal official in the story, we have something that we can look back on. Something that validates, something that affirms all the claims that Jesus made about himself. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. When Jesus says, I'm the Son of God. When Jesus says, I'm, I'm the Messiah. We can look back on the resurrection, a historical event that validates, that affirms what Jesus has said. You know, Andy Stanley says, says this, and I, I love this quote. If somebody predicts their own death and resurrection, and then pulls it off, you kinda just have to trust whatever they say. And isn't there some truth to that? Like if somebody says, I'm gonna die, and then three days later come back to life, and they do it, you kinda just believe anything that they say. And Jesus is wondering, he's asking us, will you take me at my word? Will you believe? Will you place your faith in me despite the doubts, despite the uncertainty, even if you never get your sign, you never get your miracle, will you believe? True belief is trusting Jesus for who he is, 
not for what he does or, or doesn't do. So this morning, I, I wanna give you all just a, a couple of ways that you can, can respond. Maybe for, for some of you today, you are skeptical about the whole faith thing. You're, you're skeptical about the, the Jesus thing. You've got a lot of questions, you've got a lot of concerns, and, and, and you're trying to figure out, is there evidence to, to support these? Let me say a couple things. Number one is this. Now, I'm glad that you're asking questions. Like, I don't want you to just commit to something with all of these doubts, all these concerns, completely unanswered, and to just jump in and commit to something that you don't understand. It's good that you have questions. It's good that you have doubts. And there are some incredible resources out there that provide some significant evidence to the claims to Jesus, some evidence to support the death and resurrection of Jesus. People way smarter than me, books, podcasts, YouTube videos. And if you do your homework, I believe you can find evidence that supports these claims. But listen, there are questions that you have that you will never find the answer to. Like, I, I don't care what your belief system is. There are questions in this life that on this side of eternity, we're never gonna get the answers to. And at some point, each and every one of us, we have to place our faith in something. And everybody has faith. For some people, they, they place their faith in themselves. For some people, it's in, in, in academics and science and what a professor says. For, for some people, it's in, in politics. For some people, it's in religion and their ability to earn God's favor. All of us place our faith in something. And Jesus is simply asking you, will you place your faith in me? Will you trust and believe what I have said? Will you trust and believe in the resurrection? And today, maybe for some of you, today is when you make the decision to cross that line of faith. I'm not saying don't have doubts. I'm not saying don't have questions. You take those doubts and questions with you and you choose, I'm gonna take Jesus at his word. I'm gonna believe, I'm gonna have faith. But maybe for some of you, you've been following Jesus for a while now. But if you're honest, if you take a real look at your life, your faith has become more tied to what Jesus does than who Jesus is. And your faith has become very conditional where when life is good and you're feeling good, you're all in on the Jesus thing. But when things get hard, when you, you, you don't feel it, man, you, you, you pull back on the belief, you pull back on the faith, you pull back on the obedience. And today Jesus is saying to you, will you re-anchor, will you reattach your faith to who I am? to something that is more secure than your circumstances or your feelings, something that is steady and unchanging and guaranteed. Will you re-anchor your faith? 